All right, let's go ahead and get started. So Jonah chapter 2, and let's, let's read the chapter, and then we'll, we'll start making our way. All right. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me, then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And that is chapter 2. All right, so that's quite a way to end the chapter. <laughs> Great language, you know, very graphic. Yep. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's take a look. This, there is a lot in this chapter, uh, a lot to think about, a lot of connections uh, to the scriptures, to other parts of scripture. So when we think about Jonah's descent into the sea and in, into, the, into the fish, that is like Israel's exile. And you can look at uh, Jeremiah 51, 34, and there's Isaiah 49, 19, uh, Lamentations 2, 16, and Hosea 8, 8. So let me say those again. Jeremiah 51, 34, Isaiah 49, 19, Lamentations 2, 16, and Hosea 8, 8. And we can look at a couple of those. Isaiah 49, 9, uh, 49, 19 rather, says... For your waste and desolate places and the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. So that language of being swallowed up. Uh, Jeremiah 51.34. Let's take a look at that one. This speaks of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a monster. 
He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has spit me out. So there you go. That sounds just like it, doesn't it? So the language that we hear in Jonah is... Okay, that was Jeremiah 51, 34. And that language, you know, it's... The picture that... Jonah 2 is trying to paint for us is very much like what Israel went through. And there's this sense of exile. There's this sense of being cast away, um, swallowed up, consumed. It's, it's language of forsakenness. Um, and so Jonah, in a way... His, his account is kind of like the exile, right? It's, it's like being imprisoned. It's, and, and in his case, it's his own doing, right? And yet, what, Psalm 124, verses 1 through 5, points out for us that when Israel is swallowed up, God saves them. So there's this sense of hope in this text, even though it may be difficult to see right away. So Jonah, as we said last week, is in the fish for three days and three nights, and we all know the symbolism for that. And then, as I pointed out last week, it takes a three days walk to get from one side of Nineveh to the other, which we find in Jonah 3.3. 3. Then you also have, in 2 Kings 17.5, Israel endured a siege of three years. And then, of course, Exodus 5, verse 3, as we also talked about last week, when they went out, they, they went out to sacrifice out of Egypt, and it was a three days journey. So there is this language of, of three that's very important in terms of what's needed to take care of redemption, right? For the Lord's redemption. But in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 of Jonah, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. And he, uh, you know, what happens here is so interesting to me because remember in chapter one, the, the people on deck bellowed. They were bellowing to their gods. But then the one guy goes to Jonah in the bottom of the boat and says, call upon your God. And then what ends up happening is, uh, well, let me ask the question. Does Jonah call upon his God in the chapter one? I don't think he does, does he? Yeah, he's still, he's still running away. I mean, he acknowledges his God as the creator of heaven and earth, right? The Lord of heaven and earth. But Jonah himself does not pray in chapter 1. It's only the pagans up on deck. 
But here in chapter 2, he does. He finally prays. And in his distress, the Greek word is the same in verse 3, or I guess 2, he cries, he bellows. So Jonah bellows just like Jesus bellows from the cross and just like the sailors bellow on deck. And it is as though Jonah were dead. So go to the New Testament and look at Revelation 20, verse 13. verse 13 this is a great verse the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works and as you know as we often talk about the sea was a fearful thing in the ancient world, and it was like hell to them. And you think about, remember, the, 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 the man with the demons, and the pigs are cast out, or the uh, demons are cast out into the pigs, and then what do the pigs do? Yeah, they go flying down the hill into the sea. So the demons go back to their home, so to speak. So here in this text with Jonah, he is in a bad way. So like Abraham, Jonah awaits the resurrection from the dead. So now go to Hebrews eleven nineteen and take a look at this. This is, for me, this is one of the things I find fascinating about Jonah are all of the scriptural connections so this is Hebrews eleven nineteen. And I guess we can start at verse 17 to get the context. So Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So Jonah's prayer, if, so go back to Jonah chapter 2. If you just look at chapter 2, Jonah's prayer, he finally prays, and it's like a psalm. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I, when, the first time I learned this, I found it fascinating. So, the prayer book in the temple was what? The Psalter, right? The Psalms, right? That was the prayer book of the temple. So, in, in Lutheran theology, we talk about Norma Normans, which we call the norming norm. That's really what it, that's all it means, the norming norm. And then there's the norma normata, 
and that is simply the normed norm. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> now, what does that mean? Okay, so the norma normans is that which teaches us how to confess, talk, pray. So this would be scripture, okay? So the scripture norms our confession, right? Then the normed norm would be our own prayers or, or our own confession that springs out of this. So we would say the creeds. So when you go into the liturgy, the divine liturgy, and you confess the creeds that have been passed down through, through the church's history, the creeds came out of scripture. Now, in terms of prayer, we can say similar things like the Psalms would be the Norma Normans, teaching us how to pray, and then our heartfelt prayers over time will sound a lot like the Psalms, right? So what you use on a regular basis will become your words. So you can take that for good and for bad, right? If we fill our thing, if we if we fill our minds and our hearts with bad things, bad readings, bad you know cultural creeds or whatnot, then eventually our own words will start to mimic that, right? And so pray the Psalms, and then your your own prayers will start to sound like the Psalms. Or we also have the collects, like I, I pray a collect at the end of every period with you, and you pray those collects over time, eventually your heartfelt prayers will sound like the collects, right? So in Jonah's case, his prayer from the belly of this great fish sounds just like a psalm. And it's because he has spent his time praying the Psalms, right? So when you think about Jonah's prayer, uh, let's go to a couple of Psalms. So go to Psalm 118, verse 5. So we're going to look at a couple psalms here. So Psalm 118, verse 5. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. And then Psalm 86, verse 7. Psalm 86, verse 7 says, In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. And then Psalm 130, verse 1. So this is what Jonah knows about the Lord. That no matter what is going on, if he prays to the Lord, the Lord will hear him. 
But look at this. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. So finally, Jonah gets around to doing what the captain urged him to do in chapter 1, verse 6, to pray. And I talked about this when we were looking at that. Sometimes it's hard to pray. Sometimes it is just difficult to know what to pray. And, you know, it can be very simple. You can pray, Lord, have mercy. You know, if if you're having a hard time finding the strength to pray, say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, help me. If you can get to the Lord's Prayer, say the Lord's Prayer. Yes. I have found that uh, the prayers in the Lutheran service books that are called Yeah. I, I found the prayers on page 300, I think it was 300. Good. In the, and that was in the, or the hymnal. Yeah, the prayers in the, in, the, in the hymnal are very good. Yes, exactly. And that's one of the benefits of written prayers. If you have a hard time praying, then go to those prayers. And so we, what, we're lear- what we learn from Jonah here is we often pray from the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23, verse 4. Just like Jonah prays from the depths. So in chapter 2 of Jonah, three times, I believe, Jonah is said to pray. So in chapter 1, he prays from the guts of the fish, and that's literally the Greek. He's in the guts of the fish. So he, the, so that's the literal. He prays from the guts of the fish. And then in verse 2, he prays out of his own trouble and from the belly of Sheol. And Sheol was known as the place of the dead. There's, there's often been question about what is Sheol. But if you go into the New Testament and you take a look at Ephesians 4, verse 8. Let's see here. And we're just jumping all over the place today. So starting at verse 7. But to each one of us, so this is Ephesians 4, verse 7 and 8. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 20, which is the great chapter on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 
15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So, what is happening in Jonah, in a way, is like praying within the waters of holy baptism, where we die with Christ. And we, we often pray out of need. And so, you know, who here would say, yeah, I probably pray more when I need things than praying out of thankfulness. <laughs> I mean, if, you know, some are very good at it, uh, praying out of thankfulness. But, you know, to stop and think about the blessings that are around us, that's its own thing, right? That we have to pause. Uh, but lots of times it is particularly in our own struggles where we pray because the struggles themselves often give us pause. You know, you stop and you go, what is going on here? You know, I don't understand what's happening. I, I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't, what's wrong with the world, right? There's, there's in trouble, there's a pause, it gives a pause. And, but thankfulness is, is more difficult. And, you know, we should pray in both situations, of course. But what we find in Jonah is a good example of the life of faith, the journey in the midst of a torrential uh, world that's full of sin. And Psalm 22 is beautiful in this regard. It, you know, if you, if you look, you know, you think about the, the, the words of Jonah, you can go to Psalm 22, but, you know, if you think about the, the words of Jonah, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. And isn't that a fearful thing, to think that you've been cast out of the Lord's sight? That is to think, he won't hear my prayers. And, you know, I remember a C.S. Lewis quote from way back where he says, pain is a megaphone to awaken a deaf world, right? Does anybody remember that quote? I mean, that's a good, that's a really good quote, and that's Jonah. And that's sometimes us. But Psalm 22 Psalm 22 is clearly about Christ, right? And, you know, if you just listen to it, 
we, we don't really have time to read the whole thing, but you can read it on your own. But he starts off, my God, my God, why have you far, forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. So that is very much like the words of Jonah's prayer. He, now he says in his case, out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. But then he says in verse 4, I have been cast out of your sight. But in his case, he acknowledges though that the Lord hears him. And he acknowledges in verse 4, that I will look again toward your holy temple. So Jonah has faith. He knows that the Lord will hear him. And we have that same comfort. We know that the Lord will hear our prayers. How he answers them is, you know, the next thing that we would think about, but we know he hears our prayers. And so in Jonah 2, verses 4 and 5, he's looking to the temple, but the waters are surrounding him. But he's looking to the temple. And one of the things that I was looking up this morning as I was looking at this again in the Greek is he uses for temple... He uses the word for the inner, the inner sanctum of the temple. It's because there's two words for temple. There's one that deals with just the temple itself, and then there's another word that means specifically the holy of holies. And so, in his case, he is talking about the holy of holies. He is talking about deep within. <clears throat> and there's a reason for this. And so you can tell that in Jonah's case, he has been instructed well in temple worship because look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verse 17. So Jonah says that he will look upon the Lord's holy temple. Psalm 73, verse 17 says... Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. And actually, we should back up to get the context a little bit. <clears throat> Let's go back to verse 10. Boy, it's a great psalm. There's a lot in here. 
But it says in Psalm 73, verse 10, Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. See what the psalmist is saying? He's like, I look at the world and I don't get it. I mean, that's us, right? You look at the world and you're like, why does it happen that way? Why, why are we people, of, uh, we people of faith, why do we struggle with things? And then I look out at the people that give no regard to the Lord and everything seems to be just great out there. What's going on? I don't get it. But it's not until he goes into the sanctuary of the Lord and then he understands the difference. Yes? The only thing I don't understand is if in Jonah he's talking about going to, or looking into the Holy of Holies, only what, once a year or something, went into the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. So was he a priest or is he just meaning that kind of symbolically he thinks of the Holy of Holies because that's where God is that's a really good question. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I would, what I, my first thought is just by virtue of temple worship and his participation in it from whatever his spot is, he understands what goes on in the Holy of Holies and he understands what that blood sacrifice means and the presence of God over the tabernacle, what that means for him, that mercy literally drapes over him. And, I, you know, a good example of this perhaps would be if we looked at 2 Corinthians at the end of the book, I think chapter 12. Because Paul, Paul gets it and then he spins it so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he is talking about his suffering. And there are some parallels here with Jonah. Paul suffers terribly, and we do not know what his ailment is. There have been a lot of commentators and biblical scholars over the years who have tried to figure out what it could be. Is it his poor eyesight? Is it something else? Is it, you know, I heard uh, one of my professors said it's the, the cross of, of being an apostle. Uh, but whatever the case may be, he has this thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan that is buffeting him, or the Greek is like a boxer going like this, just pummeling him. And he asks the Lord three times to take it away. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul then says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Therefore, all the more will I boast in my weaknesses in order that the power of Christ may tabernacle over me. The, the Greek word is episkeneo. So the idea is the presence of God, the presence of Christ literally co- comes over like in the cloud of incense in the Old Testament and, and lands upon him. And he learns everything from that. The presence of Christ coming upon him. And, you know, I have often in pastoral care, when I visit people who are suffering, I talk about this and I say, you know, Jesus is always with us. He's, you know, he rests with his church. He is present among us. He's present in word and sacrament. And he knows what we're going through. But then this, he is even closer to those who are suffering. And so it is precisely in Paul's thorn in his flesh, his struggle, that Christ comes and lands upon him as a cloud and tabernacles over him. And in that, he learns true wisdom. He knows what it means to be a person of faith, to go through things, and he understands the world in the correct way. So it's very much like Jonah. It's very much like the psalmist in Psalm 73 when, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I knew, then I understood it all. Then I understood the end of those people out there. Then I understood my end. And that's not an easy thing uh, to go through struggle but we do learn a lot, don't we? Any, so let me pause there. Any, any questions or comments about anything? Yes. In my Bible, I have written, um, I don't know when I wrote this, but anyway, um, it's on that verse 17, it's a um, turning point, and then submitting. Uh, of what passage? Jonah. I mean, I'm in Psalm. That's Psalm. Psalm 73. And what's your, what's your note again? A turning point. A turning point. Well, it is interesting, yes. Yeah, well, the, the words that you, that you have there are interesting words because there are places in the, in the Psalms and there are places in Isaiah, and I'm trying to think of one right off the top of my head, um, where it'll say, like in the old King James Version, it'll say, judge me, O Lord, which is really weird language, and you're like, what? I... <laughs> I don't want to be judged for, no, let's pass on that. But, the, the, but what, the, what the Hebrew means is uh, to come over me as protection. 
Um, the Hebrew word is like shafat um, and mishpat. And so there's this sense of God comes over us like an umbrella and protects us. And so to submit to the Lord's, you know, you had the word submit there, to submit to the Lord's ways actually is a protection, but it just doesn't seem like it at the time. You know, the things that you're experiencing, you just wonder what good there is in it, but there is this great protection that the Lord provides. Yes? In, in Psalm 77, uh, I guess starting with 16, it says, The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. And then this, your path led through the sea. Mm-hmm. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints are not seen. Yeah. So that's uh, Psalm 77, verses 16 through 19. Very similar imagery, isn't it? Yeah, see, that's, you know, if you read through the Psalms and you just think about Jonah, you will see lots of connecting points like this, yes. And so verse 5 in Jonah if we look at that verse, which is very similar to what you just read, the waters surrounded me even to my soul, the deep closed around me, weeds were wrapped around my head. And so listen to Psalm 69 verses 1 and 2 here. Psalm 69 verses 1 and 2. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. And then a little bit later in verses 14 and 15, of, of Psalm 69, deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. And then he goes on and he says, Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And Jonah knows that about his Lord. That if he prays, the Lord will hear his prayers. And that is so important for us to remember too. You know, it is so easy to get caught up in the potentials of things that could go wrong for us or you know, things not working out correctly or, you know, there's what's going to happen to me, how, you know, there's so many worries that can crop up in, in a person's mind. And Luther knew it. I mean, you know, he, 
he gave some commentary, and I don't remember the psalm right now, but I just remember what he had said. He says there's this demon that likes to torment us with our worries and all the things that could go wrong. And he says, I myself let this demon torment me to no end and I have no recourse. And yet then I am reminded by the Psalms to lay out my lay out my troubles before the Lord and say, Lord, you must, you must handle this because I cannot. And then it extinguishes that demon, you know, so that's how Luther talks about it. Yeah, yeah, there was a psalm, uh, and I can't remember, uh, I can't remember which psalm it was now, but I just remember him talking about it, because it grabbed me, I'm like, because I worry. That's it comes up, but you figure it out. Sure. Sure. I really need that song. Okay. All right. I'll see what I can do. I will. I'll see what I can do. Um, I don't know. You might be getting this at some point, but I just keep reading this over and over again and like trying to find where Jonah starts bargaining with God. Like, you spit me out. <laughs> I'll go to Nineveh. <laughs> Like bartering? <laughs> yeah. Well, we often, well, we do often do that, don't we? We're like, boy, this situation's not good, you know, right? I mean, this, if, if only, Lord, if you will just do this, then I will be more faithful or I will do, right? And of course, you know, we set ourselves up for failure, right? Because the law kills. So, um, you know, it's, it's all the more important for us to be l a little bit like Jonah in that he looks to the inner, the, the inner part of the temple and realizes God will take care of me. God, this is what God does. So it's like, for us, what do we do? If we were to take this and put it into our our life of faith today, we go to the altar, right? We go to the Eucharist. And there at the Eucharist, we hear the gospel. And we receive the gospel in the Eucharist. And we are strengthened and forgiven and shaped and given peace and calm. So for us, we're out navigating the world too, but that central place is the altar. And so that's where we head. And then reeds wrapped around my head. Take a look at this in Psalm 18. I mean, this is, it is amazing to me. It is just like he's quoting the Psalms. The Psalms are about his life. Psalm 18, verses 4 and 5. The pangs of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. So the snares of death confronting the psalmist are like the reeds 
that are wrapping themselves around his head and his legs and his arms and pulling him further down. And then go to 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22. It's just like the psalm. This is verses 5 through 7. When the waves, so this is 2 Samuel 22, 5 to 7. When the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry entered his ears. What a comfort. My cry entered his ears. And that's for you too. You know, when you think about these accounts, this is also about the life of the church, right? It's about Christ. It's about us baptized and grafted into the body of Christ. And you can be comforted with this passage that though you may feel that the Lord does not hear you, your prayers, your cries go into the ears of the Lord. David wrote many of the Psalms, and so he, he must have had the troublesome life, which we know he did. Yeah. Jonah at this point. Yes. Yeah, he went through his own stuff, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and he had various things go on throughout his life. And uh, great cause for his own fear. And so, yeah, as you said, you know, writing some psalms, writing this. He's very reflective of his own life and the things that he endured and how the Lord saved him out of those things. And the same can be true for us as well, right? We often, I always think about the, the word myopia. You know, we have this myo myopic tunnel vision where all we can see is like what's going on just in this one little situation. But if we can sort of look up and out and look to the Lord and then remember that all the times in your life where the Lord has cared for you, when he has brought you out of situations, and then it is that reminder that, yeah, the Lord does love me. He is going to take care of me just as he has. Yes. It's kind of a weird example, but you know, when I'm in the middle of the chaos, it's not as easy to remember in that moment. But you know, we know that God wastes nothing. He uses everything, you know, for His purpose. There was a an article this morning. What's the football player that had the demise? Yeah. So he, what a remarkable young man. He said that he thought his life was, you know, going to be this with football and blah, blah, blah. But the Lord has a different plan.
Yeah. And he said, and, but it's so, it's so much easier now because I have a purpose and I know what it, like he's a Christian man anyway. Yeah. This whole thing has caused him to look at that in a different light with gratitude and commitment to this future that, you know, Exactly. Lord has presented to him now and how he's going to use that and he talked a little bit about what he's going to do. But that's right. It's one of those things. How many times do we have things that happen to us where we think, oh, well, this is the end of the world or it couldn't be any worse or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It ends up being a wonderful gift to us. Not yes. I mean, or, or I don't always see it as a gift. Yeah, we don't always see it. We don't know what the Lord's plans are for us. So that's right. It's not always easy. You know, I can say that right now because you know, there's not a huge crisis. <laughs> 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 you have to reflect on that and remember that and try to remember that. That's true. Yeah, no, that is exactly right. It is, uh, the Lord does always have a plan and it's sometimes different than what we think. And so to be attentive you know, I, you know, one of the things that I has kind of been what I, I've been saying a lot lately is, you know, in the rule of St. Benedict, the first word in Latin of the rule is listen. That's the first word. And it, there's many chapters to the rule of St. Benedict. And it's going through all this, all the different aspects of, of life in that community. But the first word in Latin is listen. And I think that is so important, you know? So there's this sense of attentiveness, which is what I hear you saying, Martha, that for us, if we can be attentive and listen and look around, that's a different life. And it's hard, isn't it? I mean, in some ways, you can just imagine the scene with Jonah. He's told he's got to go to Nineveh. He knows those people are going to, they, they will convert. He hates that idea. So he's making a mad dash in the other direction as fast as he can. He gets on a ship. Chaos ensues. The captain is telling him to pray, to call out upon, call upon his own God. And so there's all this stuff going on, and what does it take for him to pray? He has to be cast into the sea and swallowed up by a big fish. And think about that. So if you just think about this book, chapter one is movement, 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 movement. And then chapter two is, I'm stuck. There's no movement. Everything stopped, which causes Jonah to then pray to the Lord. So that sense of listening and attentiveness and slowing, it's all at work there in chapter two. So for us, what can we take from this our lives as Christians should be that as much as it can be. We live in a fast-paced world. We're busy. There's more to do 
then there is time. And we are always being, being goal-driven. We are always looking out ahead too, right? And what this does is causes us to stop and slow and listen to God's word and think about the inner sanctum, right? The, te- the inside of that temple in the Holy of Holies and think about the words of God and what he is doing and what he means to do. I mean, it's a, that's a different way of living. I mean, that's a rhythm. That's a rhythm thing. And it's not easy because the rhythm of the world imposes itself upon us and Christ is trying to teach us his rhythm. And it is precisely in his rhythm where we understand things in the right way. You know, I've talked about that as the slowness of God. The slowness of God is so hard. But you can find peace in the midst of a storm with the slowness of God. So the reeds, just a couple things since we're on the reeds. The reeds are a reminder of the Red Sea because the literal reading of the Red Sea is the Sea of Reeds. Isn't that something? The Sea of Reeds. And then go to Exodus chapter 2. And take a look at that and what that says. It's all so very subtle. Exodus 2. Let's start at verse 1 just to get the, the beginning context. So Exodus 2 verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. That's Moses, baby Moses. He's put in an ark. The, the, the little basket literally is called an ark. He's put in the water, and he floats among the reeds. And, his, and then... The sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. But think about that. Moses is in danger. Baby Moses is in danger. He's put in an ark. 
in the water. He's saved, but he's passing through the reeds, and then he's taken up and taken in. Jonah is among the reeds, and he's not saved by them, but he is dying. And in this case, Jonah looks more like the Pharaoh's soldiers. So maybe we'll pause there and we'll pick, we'll pick up uh, next week at verse 6. But I think so much beautiful imagery, so much that has meaning for us in our lives as we journey with Christ and as he cares for us. And let us uh, pray the collect and end with the benediction. O God, our loving Father, through the grace of your Holy Spirit, you plant the gifts of your love into the hearts of your faithful people. Grant to your servants soundness of mind and body so that they may love you with their whole strength and with their whole heart do these things that are pleasing in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Have a good day.